Welcome to Conversations Beyond the Veil. I'm your host, Sayo Nickerson. We hope that you will join Brandon, Victoria, and I as we aim to make sense of the past, age-old mysteries, and historical figures through mediumship, where we chat with beings or spirits on the other side who have a story to tell. If you are curious about history and our world and always wish that you could talk to someone from the past, then this podcast is probably going to be quite interesting for you. Prepare to be fascinated and intrigued. We certainly are. We never know where it's going to go, and we hope that you will come along for the ride. This week was different again, right? This was a heavy week. (laughs) It was heavy. I should say week. This was a heavy couple hours. Yeah, it's really interesting how each one of these um, interviews is different. And this is the Marco Polo one. Um, with also surprise appearance from a unknown uh, ruling monarch, which is interesting. Um, An emperor. Uh, we hope you really enjoy this. It's 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 different. Um, it was heavy, like Brandon said. We all got really tired. And yeah, you'll notice me moving a lot, and it's because my neck was hurt, and my back was hurt, and my leg was hurt, and I bumped the table several times. <laughs> my my elbow was popping. And I do move a lot during these interviews because sometimes I get uncomfortable. But this was a lot more than usual. And I think you might feel it when you watch this. Yeah, he was, uh, Marco Polo is a bit of a tough cookie. And yeah, you just just never know how they're going to show up. And, you know, both Brandon and I did a lot of research on Marco Polo and had all these questions. And he he was... um, yeah, it was a bit frustrating because we couldn't get answers, but it was really interesting in a whole on a whole different level, which is what we're noticing with these interviews is that information that comes through is not always what we expect, but it's always meaningful and special in its own way. Yeah. And worth listening to. So we hope you enjoy this episode. Enjoy. Hello everybody. Welcome to this episode where we are going to be talking, we hope, to Marco Polo. And for those of you who don't know, Marco Polo was a Venetian merchant, but is kind of known for being a bit of an adventurer, I suppose, because he traveled all the way to the Far East with his father and his uncle in the 1200s. So he is from Italy in the 1200s, and he's kind of, I guess, best known for bringing news of the eastern countries like china and many other countries that he visited um back to europe and um basically opening up that whole conversation um yeah so that's who we thought we would talk to today and um victoria doesn't know anything about marco polo so this is going to be very interesting nothing so um do you want to see if he will join us today Out of everyone we've connected with this so far, I feel like I'm having the most resistance from him. And I'm checking whether that's me or him, but it, it doesn't feel like an easy call-in. And I'll lean into that of why it isn't an easy call-in today. Because usually that's where the gold lies of what is stopping them from coming in. It's funny because I'm calling... His name, and it reminds me of the game. <laughs> Marco. Oh, no. Marco. Polo. I literally feel like I'm doing that. Marco Polo. Um, Marco Polo. Maybe that's how we start. Is he saying anything to you? Like, I don't, I don't want to talk about this, or I'm busy with my new life? It just feels like there's a distance. 
say if there were a hallway, I'm one end and he's the other. So there's a reluctance to come close. Can you ask him why? Mm-hmm. There's a hiding from him. Some reason he wants to hide. And I'm trying to feel what that emotion is. It's not shame, but it feels like there's something about wanting to bury his head in the sand. If I gave you a reason why he's hiding, would that help? Potentially, yeah. Well, I mean, one of the controversies around Marco Polo is, so what happened is that he was in jail um, long after his travel. So he was gone for like 25 years, but it was, it was while he was in jail because he got arrested for, um, there was this war between, what? <laughs> I should have trusted myself because the first moment before we even press record, that's why I asked you if there was a controversy before because I felt I was seeing jail and I thought, am I just making this up? I was right. Trust myself. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Sweet. So, right, we're going to start there then. Yeah, I could see him being taken by two people. And there's something about not feeling like um, he's respected. There's like a, a fear from him of how he's going to be viewed because there was controversy around him. So there's this feeling that, yeah, he's afraid. He's afraid if he steps forward, what might be said about him. At this time in his life, has much been said about him, or is this the beginnings of what's been being said? No, it feels like he knows there's a lot been said already. He's reluctant to step forward and speak his truth, which I kind of like, because this is our whole journey with this work that we're doing. What's the truth, Marco? Yeah, <laughs> let's cheer him on. Well, it's interesting, because when he was in jail, he met um, his fellow cellmate, who was like a writer, and... Um, and, you know, I think he'd been gone away from Europe for 24 years. 24 years, years yeah. And, um, and I don't think he was, like, that masterful of the language perhaps anymore and, and sort of doubted whether or not he, he wanted to talk about his travels, but he hadn't done so. And then in jail, I think he was only there for two years, um, this guy and him, they co-wrote, well, it was kind of like a ghost author, I guess. Um, he wrote the, the Travels of Marco Polo which then got out and everybody like became like a household he became a household name after that once his travels were all shared but the controversy is that many people doubt whether he ever even did all these things because the guy who wrote the book um also specialized in writing like fantasy and yeah stuff and like and i have more to add to that later there's some cool stuff that happened okay that's super interesting right now I know that information, let me just check back in and see how that shifts things with him. There is something that feels slightly off. And now I'm wondering maybe if it is a bit of shame because he's hiding in the corner. It's like, what doesn't he want people to know? It's okay, we won't judge you. Yeah, it's kind of sad. It's like seeing a little mouse in the corner. Okay, I'll ask him to show what he's happy showing. And, and with this, you can't force spirit to say anything they don't want to say. Like the information's coming from him, I can't the truth out of him so I think the easiest way is just to let him come forward and speak about what he would like to and see where we go from there it's interesting because I feel like I'm seeing a train and obviously trains didn't exist then <laughs> so I'm like okay what does that mean um is the train leading anywhere it does feel like it's going east could it be like a symbol for the path he took for on his travels yeah, I'm wondering that, but also that he's used used train. Is that just because I would know that symbolizes travel or because it symbolizes um, an exaggeration of something that didn't exist yet? 
So it's almost like he's showing me a train to embellish the story. <laughs> At the same time, it's kind of a double meaning because there's a place that he traveled. And see, I don't want to say too much. Okay. So. He is a sticky one. This is so annoying. <laughs> I love it when they just come through and tell me. It just, it feels like he's being secretive and he's hiding things. I almost want to shake him and just say, tell me. No one here is going to judge you. I don't know how things were portrayed in this book, but it definitely, I'm getting the sense that, that there is some kind of embellishment because I'm seeing the train and then I'm seeing him go east and I'm seeing like spices and vibrant colors and all these things, but it doesn't feel real. It's like, imagine you've been on holiday and you come home and you tell your friends and family, like, oh, it's so amazing. And really, you had a really shit time. So on his travels, um, did he have a shit time? I love that. Um, it was way more challenging than maybe it was portrayed. And even then, those challenges, it feels like the work needed to be full of contrast. Like the, the book, the work, I mean. The book needed to be? Yeah, like it feels like there needs to be or they felt they needed to be like these grand ups and downs when really for what it was, it felt like it would have been more humble, but they didn't necessarily speak in that tone. So I have a question. Mm -hmm. Did he go to China? See, now I see like a look of embarrassment on his face, <laughs> but it feels like such a huge responsibility for me to say yes or no. <laughs> Changing the course of history right now. Pressure. But the sense is that maybe not. There was a smile on his face though, so maybe so. Okay, I'm just going to ask him to tell me about China and see how that feels. See, I don't really feel much there. You can tell him this is his chance to share his real story. Yeah. And then he may not feel so embarrassed. It's strange. He just really, I really feel like he doesn't want to. Um, would it help to talk to him on a soul level? Oh, great idea. Let's see. Even there, it feels like um, I feel a, a heaviness of shame. Like, I, I mean, a soul is your love or whatever you want to call it but it feels like there's a heaviness at the core like maybe even after all this time he hasn't quite freed himself what does he feel like he did wrong i'm hearing twisted the truth is that a crime well now like seeing him be arrested again it's kind of like it's gone too far now is he referring to what he said in his book or how he behaved in his life okay i feel like he's stepping forward more now and like is happier to speak Okay, are you referring to the book or what you were like in life? They feel like two different people. The book feels more like this confident man, whereas real life, he feels a bit more frozen. And I'm wondering if he didn't meet this guy in prison to help him write, that this story wouldn't have ever gone anywhere. Okay, that feels, that feels more true to me. I feel that space opening. Whoever this other man was, it does kind of feel like he was led astray a little bit, or a lot. And it's this sense, there's this shame around um, things spinning out of control. And he didn't stop them, so now he's having to hide. So you kind of let the, the author kind of run with it a bit. That's what it feels like, yes. So maybe if we ask him to share more about him as an individual, I get the sense that he's actually kind of shy and that he's not, he wasn't okay with this and that he was easily pushed around by people or swayed by them. And it's that or I said feeling frozen it doesn't feel like he moves through life with ease or confidence what does he feel the greatest accomplishment in his in that life was it's very self-deprecating oh. because I feel like he's saying nothing there, there were no achievements that just can't be one of the most well-known people in the world mm. 
But I'm I'm wondering if that's just how he looks at himself, because we all have views of ourselves that other people wouldn't say are true. Yeah. Is there anything in his life that he's most proud of that he's done? Well, now I'm seeing it as he feels that the author led him astray because it's so far from who he saw himself as. But actually, spinning that, maybe it's that this author actually helped him see who he really was. And that's where he thinks he's been a liar. And there's something with his book that um, a lot of scholars have um, noted, and that is it's more, I should say, less reactionary, his words, and more observant. Less subjective, more observant. And as, as you read the, the novel, it's just, this is what happened, that's what happened, this is what happened, that's what happened. Instead of like, I felt this, this shocked me, that kind of thing. It's more written like an account of, here, this is how things are out there versus, this was my experience. Yes. Okay. And maybe that's what he wanted to express, more his experience than what this other author led him to. Yeah, that's why I was just going to ask him whether he wanted it to look like that or not. Because it feels like Marco Polo does have a sensitivity and like a depth of emotion that maybe he didn't share with a lot of people. And therefore this book doesn't fully resonate because it's not how he would like to express himself. But it feels like he didn't have the confidence to express himself and so therefore he let someone take control of how it would be written and shared. So really, I don't want to go around in circles, but it feels like the discomfort is around how he sees himself, how someone else saw him, how he wanted it to be and how it was shown. So there's this conflict in him and that's the hiding because it feels like he's lying because in a way he's like lying to himself. But actually from here, I feel like then we can look more into was the whole scenario a lie? Mm. Well, I can see that that would be tough, you know, like if this, his work, this book became so famous and inspired all kinds of other, you know, explorers like Christopher Columbus carried a copy with him. And, um, and I could see that that would be tough if it's like, oh, but that's not really what I wanted to say. And that that's like the narrative out there the accepted view, mm. that that would be a bit, ooh. Why did he allow it to be published then? I think he knew it needed to. And I was just sitting there with the feeling of, um, reminded me of last week's episode about Elvis when he was saying, you know, he was a born leader, but he didn't necessarily want to be one. So it's like he knew, okay, there's something that I need to share with the world, Marco Polo I'm talking about. Um, but it was feels so against his personality to be seen it's the being seen part he's uncomfortable with I'm just feeling a bit of conflict between do I not want to be seen because I'm not meant to or do I not want to be seen because I'm afraid to be seen so that's like a tug in him does it have to do with religion it feels like a time that it's dangerous to be seen which could definitely factor in religion but it doesn't feel like the whole story but there's something Okay, why are you afraid of being seen? Okay, it feels like here we need to go into talking about the imprisonment part. Because here I feel shame. It's like I see lots of people, like crowds of people, and he's hanging his head in shame. And there's a person either side of him taking him somewhere. Why was he arrested? It doesn't feel 100% just that he was from his view. Was it in Italy that he was arrested? Mm -hmm. Okay. Because there there feels like a sense of betrayal. It's like, here's my home. This is where I come from. 
Okay, if I, um, this may not be the reason that he was arrested, but if I zoom out and look at the macro of it, it feels like from Italy, I'm feeling anger and a resistance to bringing in anything new. So he kind of feels like he was scapegoated because people didn't like that he was bringing in something foreign, whether that's literal something or ideas. It feels like that there's someone in a place of power in Italy that doesn't like that he gets credit for something. So I think what it was is there was city-states fighting. So Genoa and um, Venice were at war. And then he was commanding a ship, I think, or on board a ship. And many people died. Yeah, and then he was taken, I think, in by the Genovese, right? Mm -hmm. And then imprisoned there. So back in the day before Italy was like, you know, united country as we know it today they were city-states that were constantly at war with each other yeah so um, over a hundred people went on this trip on the ship and a hundred people died and 18 people survived and I think it has to do with something like that though like like more specific to that yeah because I don't I didn't actually read that far to know what what the details of that battle were do you know at this point is this after he's been exploring Yes. Yes. Okay. This is on his way home. But I don't know that it's nothing's been published, but I don't know how many people he's spoken to or apparently it was a really big deal in his home village when they came back because it was him and his father and uncle who traveled together and they were gone 24 years. They came back after all that time and everybody's like, oh my God, we thought you were dead. And it was like a big deal. So I don't know how much word of what they had done and seen had spread already before the book came out. That I, I don't know. Yeah, that's where I'm wondering, because I do feel this sense that there's a, a grander reason than just this ship incident, but that it might not have been spoken about. Or, see, I'm always wary of spirit, because they can say what they want. <laughs> and it feels like I'm trying to put a puzzle together or be a detective, because this, what I'm perceiving, could just be what Marco Polo thought, rather than what actually happened. Right. And from where we've gone in this reading so far, he's taken me around the bloody houses. And I feel like I'm yo-yoing from up and down, side to side. Shall we transition out of this part of his life and perhaps go on his travels? Oh, I don't trust this man. (laughs) Not in a, like, he's deceitful. Yeah. I mean, he kind of is. But Marco, can you just be straight up with us? Yeah, it's really conflicting of what's his perception and what's the truth because maybe he just felt attacked he thought that's the reason he got imprisoned but that may have not been the truth Mm. people are funny we make up stories all the time yeah okay let's yeah i feel like let's not waste time and if you guys just lead i know you have a list of questions so tell me where the gold is let's go let's go to his childhood had a very interesting childhood is there anything that you can tell us about that. Is there something about his mother here? Why am I getting mother? Feel more of a closeness to his father. Do you know anything about his mum? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. At least there's something to know. That's a good start. <laughs> Sounds terrible. But I want to say that she feels unhinged. What do you mean by unhinged? Cuckoo bananas. Yeah. Unstable in some kind of way. And like not really there. Well, his father and his uncle were not there. He didn't meet them until he was 15. 17. 17. They were, um, like, out, they were merchants as well. And so 
they had gone and done a trip out east, and then they came back, and then he joined them on their second trip. Okay. All right, what is it about his mum then? I feel kind of like this longing from him of not wanting to be left behind. He probably wanted to know who his father was. Yeah, because I feel a pull towards his father. Like, really looked up to him. and like. Yeah, he probably just thought, saw him as a hero, as some mystical figure. Yeah. Again, he's playing this well. So um, infuriating. How about when he first left? So his he got to meet his father and then decided to join them on their journey. Does he have anything to say about that decision? Or how he felt about that? About leaving? He feels good about it. Um... It's like, oh, I have purpose now. Okay, I feel like, just tell me about his mom. I need to know. His mom died when he was six years old. There's the abandonment and there's the not being around. So he was raised by other people, some aunts, and um, it didn't go so well. Do you know what his mom died of? I don't know. Okay. They don't even know really when Marco Polo was born, actually. It's, I think, around 1200, and I think it was... 64. 54. 54. Okay, I, I definitely feel a strong, where I said unhinged, I'm like, I really want to go back to that because there's something there. So his mum died, and then there's this pull to his father because he's not there. There's something about instability in between. And obviously you would feel unstable if your dad's gone and your mum's dead, but it doesn't feel like a good time. I don't feel that there was like a lot of love and care. That would make sense that he's excited to finally go with them mm-hmm. and have purpose, like you said. It's also kind of a hard life, even though he had this amazing journey. He really didn't have a parental structure, yeah, nor, like, nor like, like brothers or sisters. or Yeah, a whole human without sort of that yeah, nurturing in the early years. Kind of alone. Yeah, it feels kind of sad. And makes more sense to his character. Yeah, he probably didn't feel like he was worth a whole lot. No, and he's never had anyone to really lead him. He just had an idea of a person, his dad, who he hadn't met. So then to become the hero of this story probably feels very wrong. Mm, yeah, I'm just sorry. I'm like silently trying to <laughs> tune Coax him here. Yeah, <laughs> and just like build a bigger picture and really feel. I work a lot on feeling. And I'm trying to feel more of what he does, but I don't even know if he let himself feel. Maybe that's why I can't. Because this is so deep. Like, this is huge for a kid. And a lot of coping is just blocking feelings. Yeah. Did he ever find love in his life? Ooh, great question. feels like it's hard for him to really know what love is or what it should have felt like because he doesn't feel like the dominant character. He doesn't really feel like he has this power and charge in him. feels like his biggest love was exploring. I believe that. He did marry once he came back and had three kids or something like that, but I don't even catch a name or I don't know if that was... I was just wondering if along his travels he had like some... Hmm. exotic love because by the time he got back he was in his 40s is that right yeah doesn't feel like a huge anchor point in his life really and i still want to know did he go to china come on did you go to china why do you want to know that because that's one of the things that people say oh i don't think he ever made it there okay but a lot of people say no he had very specific information well a lot of people thought everything he wrote was of total fabrication and lie so what what's really interesting about what he did write was um so the the western society believed it was all well like the priests and the and the pope and the and the catholic church they thought it was a lie so they i believe it was 200 years later some scholars went to look it up look up to compare his journals to his his travels and his book 
to Chinese archives and they matched up. So it's so now they believe it's 100% true what he said because be, because there are some things there that were more advanced and a lot of things more advanced than the western than Europe and the church didn't believe anything could be more advanced than them. Okay. Well, this brings me back to the point where on the macro he thinks that like someone is scapegoating him because they didn't like that he was bringing these ideas. And that fits perfectly. The church. Yeah. We don't want anything foreign. Because they believe that anything outside of Europe was just barbarians. And they couldn't believe when he said, no, mm. they have civilizations. They have systems. They have they the have biggest have, army in the world. Yeah, like paper currency was a new concept that they then introduced a few years later. Um, yeah. They had tile flooring that was heated geothermically. Wow. They had, I mean, they had all of this amazing stuff. And plus, the ruler, I'm like, should I say his name? So he's the grandson of Genghis Khan. Okay, I know who that is. And like Khan. Yes. And he's, um, he was strict. He was a powerful king. He was also very open to the idea of allowing every religion into his territory. And he had the biggest territory in the world at the time. He, all of Alexander's, so there was like 10, at the time there was like, I think 10 cities named after alexander the great and by this time this khan i i his first name starts with the k what was it again kublai. kublai kublai khan had it all he had all those cities it just shows the contrast between the east and the west was he friends with kublai khan I'm wondering did he ever meet him i get the sense that he felt more loved in the east than he did the west because both parts of his life that he spent in the west were the first half was early years, abandonment, death, no love. And then he comes back and he's arrested. And it doesn't feel like anything on that level happened in the East. So answering your question, I can see him like like sitting in ceremony or having tea or something with with people of what would be considered nobility there and being welcomed in and invited. What was he like? What was because I think he did know well, apparently he did know the Kublai Khan and he was part of this kind of inner entourage and was sent out as an ambassador. Basically, he was there for 17 years working in the employ of the Khan. Himself. Like he would receive orders from the Khan himself. Okay. Okay, so now we're just tuning into a new person. So should we bring the Khan in? Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting because I'm like, okay, projecting, I know what. Um, was his grandfather? Your grandfather? Genghis Khan. Yeah. Who, how they're related? Okay, grandfather. Grandfather. Yeah. I mean, there's terrible stories about him, isn't there? Uh, he was ruthless. Yeah. But he was badass. He also, was, they're just stories. Yeah. <laughs> Genghis Khan was supposedly given information from heaven to merge and, not merge, to unite all of Earth. Yeah, he made a huge territory. He was a conquering Conquering king kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, because he invaded China, right? Um, yeah, are you talking about so. Genghis? Yeah. He also invaded Japan, but they lost to the samurai. Okay, so his grandson, Kublai. Kublai Khan. Love his name. No doubt he had some ruthlessness too. Like, to be a leader in these times, you, you have no choice but to. But actually, I feel that Marco Polo was really, like I said, welcomed in. And he doesn't have the same attitude that the West has. 
it doesn't feel like there's a hatred for another kind. There's not, doesn't feel like there's so much separation and division. And I want to say like less racism. And Marco Polo feels excited that he gets to go on these um, like errands and adventures for him and report back. And he feels rewarded for that. It's kind of like, this is my family. This is my home. What made him want to leave eventually? I was just going to ask that. (laughs) And go back (laughs) for them because it was still him and his uncle and his father. Yeah, I think it's um, something to do with them. So his uncle or his father or both. Because I feel like Marco would have stayed. But there's a sense of loyalty that, like, we've traveled together and we have to continue that way. Feels like something to do with age and or illness. One of the men he's with. It's like someone wants to get back. As much as they were all explorers, I still feel like there's this big tie to their homeland. One of the reasons why his father kept going and was so humble about leaving and going is because he said, this is one of his quotes, is that he knew he had a home. He always knew he had a home in Italy. Marco Polo's father said that? Yeah. That's what kept him going. Uh, time to go home. There's another theory, too, that it's because the Khan was now like 80 years old. They're worried that if he dies with the bloody successions that happen in these countries, and they didn't know if they would still be welcome, and it was probably a good time to just kind of beat it. Mm. Yeah. I don't think they left definitively knowing that they wouldn't go back especially his father and uncle they thought they might go back again so far (laughs) well it's interesting because what happened i think after they got back is that then there was like actually the the empire fell apart didn't it the mongol empire because they'd taken the silk route which i think i mean i wish i could see that through their eyes i've driven down there and seen like the remnants of all nice the places where at the end of a day's journey by camel, there would be a place that was protected for you to sleep in. So one thing that um, Kublai gave his father and his uncle were these um, golden passports. And so what these golden, so there are these um, tribes or uh, rebels on the Silk Road, they're called Tartars, and they would either kill or rob and, you know, they're thieves and, and murderers. And uh, but if you had this golden passport, they'd leave you alone um, because they knew the Khan would come after them if uh, they caused anybody with these golden passports any trouble. And so Kublai did not want any of them to leave, actually. They did it under one condition, and that was to deliver the Blue Princess. Is it Blue Princess? I forget which what was her name. To wed somebody in, I think it was in Turkey at the time, Persia, Persia. in Persia, and uh, so they agreed to do that. And so they were allowed passage through the Silk Road and onto that ship. Um, but what I was saying before is that I, I think after he got back then, and the, the Khan did die and then things fell apart, and then that access became taken over by local warlords and stuff, and it we weren't able to get back the same way. Yeah. And I don't feel they knew that was going to happen. Or they hoped it wouldn't. So they really liked it out east. Yeah. But I think there was a sense, especially in his father, knowing he was getting older, that it... I don't feel like he would have said it out loud, but that he knew probably wouldn't go back. Mm. I feel like, his, especially his dad, was pulled back to Italy because he could feel like the end was coming and that's where he would want to die. 
So in that sense, I think there's that's a little bit selfish. You'd want, uh, I mean, I guess a good thing to have your son by your side when you you're, you're passing away. But in that sense, I I would think that the father going back to Italy and dragging his son there would be like, okay, well I'll do this because you know you're you're my you're my father and and I'll be by your side when you're soon to pass away because you're getting mm. to that age. It doesn't feel like a dragging though. It feels. From Marco, knowing his childhood, he wouldn't want to leave his dad. He doesn't want to be alone again. Because if I think back to the beginning, I'm sure I said something along the lines of he felt way closer to his father, which, I mean, now makes sense because he barely knew his mum. But there's just such a strong bond that even though he's, like, made family in the East, it's still not the same. They're not blood. And I don't think he could bear to tell him, tear himself away from actual relatives. And that makes sense, because in that day and age, it's years of travel to get anywhere. He probably never would see him again. They're pretty much on camel and... Well, yeah. Robbers yeah. and thieves and yeah. stuff <gasps> everywhere. Walking and camel. There's so much of him that feels like an innocent little boy, even as an adult, and he just wants his dad. It didn't feel like a sacrifice for him. But having said that, feeling him go, you say he got married when he went back, it doesn't feel like that was his destiny or his desire he kind of just you know you go back and you get stuck and without his dad to go back with him it's like he didn't have the inner strength to do on his own okay one thing that he's criticized for is not having mentioned in his book the great wall of china or tea or actually like chinese writing um did he see did he see the great wall of china i don't feel a definitive answer it feels more like you know when you go somewhere and it's like, oh, you're in London, you should go to the London Eye or Big Ben and there's these sights to see. But when you live there, you never go to these places. That's kind of what it feels like. Or they're just not as of that much importance. It was more about like the way of life and the living instead of the things. Yeah. So the Great Wall of China, wasn't that created to keep the Mongols out? Yeah. So I would think going that way, if he's working for the Khan... I don't know, it'd be going into battle. Well, but I think China had already been assimilated into the Khan's empire. Even that part? I think that's what Genghis Khan, Genghis Khan did. Cause he, took, he invaded China. So they were, that was part why he had like the largest sort of kingdom. I thought... Because um, China was part of it by this point. Oh, I thought China... I think, well, I could see how, I mean, it's, this is like a criticism that other people bring up. So I think, I'm sure that they, they assume that he would have seen that had he, you know, actually been there. And I can see, though, for tea and even the writing, it's so commonplace that you wouldn't even almost necessarily think to write about it. The only thing that you could write, I mean, you see this wall that's bigger than anything you've ever seen, biggest wall in the world, you should probably write about that. <laughs> you would um, think. Tea and writing, uh, I mean, he was very in touch with a lot of different languages and could speak about five of them, so. Wow. That might be of interest to him. I don't know. I was wondering if maybe, like, um, since he's a bit reticent, if, like, his father or uncle, who had the same experience oh. as he did, if they're, like, is there anybody else around you that's like, I'll say something. Yeah, I'll oh, speak okay. up. That's a good idea. Yeah, I have felt that the whole time. Like, Marco Polo's not really playing ball here, so. Right, is there anyone else who, right, thank you, Marco. I feel like I want to talk to, Kublai Khan. Okay. What does he want to say? 
because it feels like we need the other side of the story, East versus West. And I was feeling this before when you were saying, like, why didn't they talk about these things? I'm getting the sense that there's certain things that Kublai Khan didn't want people to know about. That makes sense, because on um, Marco Polo's dying bed, he was visited by a priest to give him his last rites. And the priest said, to wash away your sins, will you confess to lying about the story, the book? And Marco Polo said, no, because none of it was a lie. And if I told you the entire story, you wouldn't believe me anyway. And he said he only told, told a fraction of the truth. It feels like there's, I'm having deja vu right now. I, I should say fraction of the story, not fraction of the truth. Okay. Because it feels like there's a real loyalty to Kublai Khan. Like those, was it 24 years he was there, did you say? 17. 17. Oh, 17 years. He just felt so close to that community and those people that he would choose them over Italian people. Um, there's so much loyalty and it feels like there are things that Kublai Khan wouldn't want people to know. Is Kublai Khan there? Yeah, I feel him there. What didn't you want people to know? There's a sense in him that he doesn't fully trust everyone. And wow, he really feels like he trusts Marco Polo. Really. And it's not that he's worried what Marco would do. It's he's worried that if information got out, who else would do stuff with it? You know, we're coming back to religion. It's like he knows there's no point trying to share stuff or explain stuff to people who will never be able to accept it. So just don't mention it. Such as? It's like our way of life. Because it feels like there are some things that are maybe a bit ruthless and not so nice and that any it feels like he feels that anything could be used against him so like with the wall for example if that's to block people out then is he the catholic church is that the catholicism at this point how old is that yeah, i think so yeah <laughs> okay or whatever the religion is in italy at this point they had popes so yeah, catholic. okay oh it makes me angry it's like anything can be spun especially on the west yeah yeah, and that the followers of that religion will believe anything that that Pope's going to say. So Kublai Khan really feels like, just leave this stuff out. Don't share anything that could be skewed in that way or would be considered too controversial. So like their, their practices of how they deal with their rivals or how they manage? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's like, feels so alive for me. It feels horrible. Ugh. Mm. Like the way people would be killed. Um, and when you said barbarian earlier, that's they would just paint that. If they knew that we did these things, then we would be monsters and never be accepted. Did they used to kill family members that were potential rivals? I think they did, right? Like nephews and brothers and cousins. I feel so. It feels pretty normal. It's strange to say. Yeah. Um, so Kublai told the three travelers not to speak about many of the things that they saw. I feel like they swore some kind of oath, like some ritual was had. Like, I'll let you leave on this condition. Don't even know if it was about leaving. Maybe it was when they left. Yeah, actually, probably was, because otherwise they wouldn't have left. Like, there needed to be some kind of sworn energy between them. Like, he already really trusted them, but in their way of life, there were certain rituals that needed to be done to prove that word's not enough. But if you do this and you break it, then it's like there's something bad going to happen to you. It's kind of like religion, but mm -hmm. in a different way. And who was Marco Polo to him? How does he feel about to, it? Okay, so how does Kublai Khan feel about Marco Polo? Well, like I said, he feels really trusting of him. Almost feels like child. 
Kublai Khan does kind of have this like father energy and like he's surrounded by a lot of young men who he's raising mm. and shaping. That makes sense. He had a council around him. So Kublai Khan had a council around him of young men. One of them was his son. And a couple of them weren't even from, they were from different regions. Like there was an Indian guy and who was the financial expert that gave him financial advice. And then there's the war, the general, the war expert. And then there's his son who was um, learning to be the king. And then there was, there was some other people too. He feels very trusting of people. Although if you were to cross him, I mean, you wouldn't want to. Yeah, there's a sense that like they're all his children. And like up on that level, he feels alone. Yeah, he looked at his father as a god, literal god, or his grandfather. Are you getting that from the uh, Netflix series? I'm or getting, from the... <laughs> no, um, there is, well, I only saw one episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, I got that from, I watched a guy on YouTube, he spoke about, okay, before, before, please. so I didn't know much about Marco Polo for the listeners, so I spent last night watching a bunch of YouTube videos on him. And it was so fascinating that I was like, it was pretty late. And I said, I got to watch the first episode of Marco Polo. There's got to be something. So I found actually two shows, one called Hundred Eyes and the other one Marco Polo on Netflix. And they're both episodic. And I actually kind of kept my interest. It wasn't that, wasn't too into it, but you know, well done. (laughs) (laughs) Great cinematography, great dialogue. How did the con feel about the elder Polos, older brothers? Um, you mean his dad and yeah. uncle? It's like his main priority was Marco, but because he trusted him, he then trusted the other two. But it doesn't feel like they would have had as big of a role. But it feels like hearing their story, knowing they were travelers, that he then trusted them more because they didn't feel like they were products of where they were from. And is there anything uh, that, the, that Kublai Khan felt like he wished he had done in his life that he didn't do? No, he feels very at peace, actually. Was he happy with what happened after he died? But he knows that like, he reached his point of where he was meant to go, and anything that happened after was out of his hands. Yeah, he had a long reign. He died when he was 80. He was 80? When he died, apparently. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's amazing for that time period. Eastern way of living. Is there anything he wants to tell us? Oh, feels kind of sad. Mm. I feel him wanting to talk to Marco. And just bringing it back to the beginning of this recording where Marco was like hiding away and not really wanting to say anything. It was all confusing. I always wanted to say like, because I can't like the father that Marco never had, but that's not true because he had a dad. But it's just such a different kind of love. It feels like a godly love, almost like people would have felt with Jesus, like his disciples. And I feel like he just wants to give him that love and be like, there's nothing to be ashamed of or to hide away from. You've done nothing wrong. Yeah, Marco, it's really actually feels like a really sad story. Feels like he just those early years like really bent him into a shape that he struggled to get out of. Was he ultimately glad he went on this journey? Who Marco? Yeah. Oh, we're not talking to Marco now, we're talking to Dubai. <laughs> I mean, I feel like they're both around though because he's talking to him. I can feel him there. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to think like what would have happened if he didn't go. I feel like he just would have lived a really miserable life to be honest. Probably a really simple, humble non-existent life and this traveling like gave him something because it feels like so much was taken from him as a child it almost reminds me of kind of my life um just this gratitude that i get to experiencing so differently now that i've moved country Mm. 
And if I had chosen to stay in the UK, I don't know who I'd be right now. But it's almost like I'm on this adventure. And not just because I'm in Indonesia and it's the East, but um, like a life of spirituality too. It's it's like the same feeling of, oh, I get to experience something that most people in this life may not. And back then, I mean, well, nobody did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's really glad he went. It sounds like, from what we've said, that the time that he was gone was probably when he felt the most alive and that he was actually living, and the rest of it was not. Yeah, and like I said, when he went back and he got married and had kids, eh. It was a little ho-hum. Yeah, but it also feels like he has this secret inside of him, and that kept him going. Like, I had those 17 years. Yeah, I totally see that and feel that too. But he was like, thank God, at least I have that, and I can hold on to it. Yeah, so it didn't feel so depressing. Yeah. It must have felt like a dream to him when he was back. I'm sure. Did he have any other really close friends that he made there? Like these other young men, did they become like brothers to him? Honestly, each person in the council of Kublai Khan feels quite individual. Um, it's like their all their energy goes up to the Khan. So it feels like there's less intermingling between the people. But I don't sense any animosity. It's just like everyone's kind of vowed to the Khan and they're on that journey. They're devoted. Yeah. Sounds like he was a bit of a godly presence. Definitely. Yeah. And I still want to know, did Marco have a girlfriend? Oh, yeah. <laughs> when he was Marco in had a girlfriend? Asia. <laughs> I was wondering if they were even allowed them. I can imagine and see, I feel like the Khan would have had women around him. But they don't really feel like genuine relationships. Just like a harem. Yeah. Same for Marco. Yeah, but it also doesn't feel like his, doesn't really feel like he cares that much. Yeah, and then in the Netflix show last night, they showed pretty much a harem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I kind of remember that. I've seen that like, too, but it was with, years ago. With a lot of the council. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like they were, you know, they were around each other, they knew each other, but it doesn't feel like their relationships don't feel like the focus. Anything yeah. you want to ask them? I just feel really grateful to like feel the relationship between the two of them. I like when things get emotional in readings. <laughs> what are they saying to each other? Did he coax them out of his sadness? Yeah. It's almost like chin up, it feels like. Because it feels like no one could tell the Khan what to do. And he doesn't want anyone to tell Marco what to do. He's like, why are you letting them do that? So he's pretty much Marco's... Protector? Yeah. Yeah, cheerleader. Stepfather. Yeah. Yeah, I just kind of want to leave them there like reunited really they both had these amazing things to do in life and it's it's astounding what marco polo did and his even more so for his dad and his uncle who spent even more time traveling and to survive it and to make lots of money doing it um the other thing too when you'd mentioned about them um you know returning to italy and getting arrested the other thing that happened is when they got back they were robbed of almost everything that they had saved but they had managed to they think like sew jewels and stuff into their so they still made out fine and came back wealthy. Yeah, and they, they also hid some things. Before yeah, but they like were they stoned. probably, you know, it's like, ah, this, we're so excited to come home and this is how you treat us. And yeah, and, and if it wasn't for the book that sold so well, um, the, the historians were saying that perhaps Marco Polo wouldn't have had any money at all. Yeah. Again, it comes back to the this, this secret. We know what happened. So really the things don't actually matter that much. And honestly, I feel like if the Khan knew that everything was taken, he'd be like, here, have this. Like, he would just give them stuff. Yeah. He would just be so generous to, like, give them more. Mm. So they had a really good relationship with him. 
Yeah. And the other thing maybe we didn't mention to you is that on the father and uncle's first journey, they met him. And then they went mm. back to court. To That's the reason why they had those golden passports when they're on their return trip to Mongolia. Well, I think he had them like throughout the 17 years he was there. He was just basically an emissary of the Khan. So everywhere he went, because he was sent on all kinds of journeys throughout the kingdom and to neighboring countries like Thailand or Vietnam or something that he had like his special. So he always was treated well within the kingdom. So that was much easier, I'm sure, than forcing your way around and trying not to get robbed. Yeah. And he also said that on their, when he left, um, because that's how they got back is accompanying this princess to Persia that they stopped in Sumatra for like wow. three months or something. I didn't know that really. Yeah. Wow. Five did... months. Five months in Sumatra because they waited for the monsoon season. To did you, do you by chance, did you ever by chance read his book? No, I don't think so. I might have when I was younger. I, I, know I think I might want to Actually, now. I think I have read it because it all seems quite familiar to me. I think I might have and I do want to read it again. It also says like in the book that he... Prester John exists because that's another big mystery as to who Prester John was because they think maybe he was out of Ethiopia, but it's mentioned in different legends. Really? This uh, Christian leader. Also, it was the Pope and the church got a hold of his book and rewrote it. That's what one historian I was watching on YouTube said. Well, because back then there wasn't a printing press, so people would yeah, write it out and then whoever was copying it would be like oh that i better leave this part out and so they figured there's like 150 different versions wow. of his book in three kind of major groups and every time somebody wrote it was altered in some way including the names and so it's i think a bit hard to piece together and on top of that they're like well which how much of this was embellished how much was not did he actually go like it says even in there that he might have ruled over the city for a few years or something but it's all based on like how you translate this one particular word. So there's a lot of things mm. they're not clear on. But then they can't dispute things like he did report on the paper currency. Um, he also spoke about salt because salt was a precious commodity. And he talked about how they made salt, how they measured salt, how they sold it, how much it was worth, and how that would translate into European dollars. And it all kind of aligns. Um, so there's some things that like he had to or spoken very to somebody who very much had been there that they think some of it was an anecdotal that they met somebody who told them about this place and he put it in there or did he actually see these places but they know that some of them he didn't go to mm. but they talked about in the book I feel like now with the bigger picture like it does feel like the truth but circling back to the beginning and talking about the man who helped him write it so the man he met in prison if there feels like a disconnect because he didn't experience it. So what I'm feeling, I don't feel that any of that is translated into the book. And what I'm feeling is what the Khan and Marco Polo are feeling. So this is a whole different essence that's not there, um, which is why it keeps feeling like a secret. It, it feels like Harry Potter and Hogwarts. Like no one's ever going to know that you were there. And actually that kind of feels good. There's something about that that feels safe to Marco Polo, because no one could take that away from him. Mm-hmm. If he tells everything, then everything he he has and he believes in could be taken away. But he has things he can hold on to that no one else knows. And that feels really special. Which lines up with his deathbed comment. That you've, I've only told a fraction of what I actually yeah. experienced. And I want to reiterate that this really feels like a once in a 
lifetime or many lifetime situation like it i don't sense that there's anything even remotely close to this in history like to his life you mean yeah there's something about it that feels like so golden and special and i see the uncle and the father either side of marco just like walking forward like they're taking him there for some reason it's almost like he witnessed the golden age of mongolia yeah well, and also seeing so much of the world before the world became global, when things were like just these intact communities and cultures, distinct from the one a hundred miles down the road, you know, and then to see all of that and the contrast and like what you said at the beginning, the colors and the spices, and it's so rich. And now so much of that is lost because we've just all melded together into this like global thing. But to mm-hmm. be like the first one of the very first people to see something in its native state it would be just, and, what a gift and to see something that's according to the book more advanced than where he came from when he thought probably he's in the most advanced civilization in the world at the moment yeah it's such a novel experience and then i keep christopher columbus keeps coming to me and i'm just thinking eh. that in comparison to this you can't even compare it hmm. it really feels like a fantasy i can see that interesting this wasn't in anything I, I read or watched on YouTube, but in the, so I don't know if this is real, but in the episode I watched the, on, on Netflix, it, it showed these warriors that was almost like Lord of the Rings where they're coming out of a tornado sand and, then when they, and they're, on, they're on horseback. And when these warriors would stop, on the ho- and the horses would stop, obviously, they, um, the wind would stop and there they would be. And then when they'd go again, they turn into the wind, and it's really interesting. I, was, I didn't know if that was in the book or not, in the book that he wrote, Marco Polo's. He'll have to read it and give us a little synopsis. If so, that sounds a little bit, you know, fantasy. <laughs> yeah, but compared to where they came from, 100% would have been fantasy. And again, that's why the Catholic Church, just the West in general feels so boring right now when I feel into the two energies of the it's, two. Yeah. Stifled. And it's also, it's kind of like, Witnessing something for the first time, like I say, I see a whale. How am I going to describe that 10 years later to somebody who's never seen one? And here we have people on horseback, warriors with weapons, and behind them is probably tons of sand just you yeah, know, yeah. billowing in the air. So it'll probably look like they were, the sand was surrounding them and they were mystical. And, and they're finally seeing the reality probably of the stories they've heard in Italy. Like they're getting to experience that firsthand. And I don't even know if they had stories because I don't think anybody had been to these places. No. So it's kind of like he really did open up his knowledge of the world. And that was kind of, I think, the point of writing his book was just like, this is the world. Nobody knows. I'm, I'm showing you. Also about um, seeing things because apparently he saw a rhinoceros and said it was a unicorn. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, because it's like a horned beast. Oh. We have, I found the mythical unicorn. That's really <laughs> cool. It feels like the West wanted to stay in the dark because it was safer that way. If you pin everything you don't know as evil, then somehow you have more control. Huh, that sounds awfully familiar. Aren't we living through that right now? History repeats itself. The West is like covering its ears. La, 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 la. We know everything. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, thank you both for that wonderful um, interesting interview. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Marco. Thank you, Khan.